on here. And um, he will be on later this year on Writers on Writing, talking about his books um, sometime in the fall when his next book comes out. But um, today he's on the show because he is executive director of the Snorkel Bob Foundation and an active member of Hawaii's conser- conservation community, and he works digital intelligently. You know, I will be able to speak uh, fairly clearly pretty soon, okay? So if you're listening, just have a little bit of patience. I haven't talked much today. I've been writing um, to protect Hawaii's reefs. The Snorkel Bob Foundation was instrumental in protecting the northwestern Hawaiian islands, um, Marine Monument, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of it. We'll let him do that. And uh, he's he's advocated for the reef community, marine mammals, and turtles all of his life. And I'm so happy to have him on. Hi, Robert. Aloha, Barbara. Aloha. So glad to have you on. Um, I, you know, when I, when I was in Hawaii, uh, I guess it was just a few weeks ago I came home, and I'm still, my heart is still there. Um it happens. It happens. Yeah, it happens. I'm, I'm, you know, talking about our next trip, and my son, my son says, you know, we live in paradise, and I'm like, yeah, but that's really paradise. <laughs> you know, this is sort of paradise, but that's really paradise. Um, I have always loved fish. I had major uh, freshwater fish aquariums, goldfish aquariums, until just a couple of years ago, and and I'd been contemplating a saltwater aquarium. Um, and then I went to Hawaii and uh, snorkeled with the beautiful fish and sea turtles and rented snorkel gear from your shop. And I, and I bet most of the people who've been to Hawaii and who have snorkeled have rented gear from your shop um, since you have shops on all the islands, yes? Here, yeah, here's yeah. hoping. Here's hoping. Um, and I learned that... Um, you know, sort of all of the horrible things going on with tropical fish being imported for our beautiful saltwater aquariums. And so I want to talk about that. And I want I want to make our listeners aware of lots that I wasn't aware of until I went to Hawaii. And um, so that's that's going to be coming up. But perhaps we could begin with you and how you got started um, snorkeling and then moving to Hawaii. I'd love to hear. Well, it's you know, it's we could talk all day about that. Um, <laughs> it, but in a in a nutshell, um, you know, I I was a young fella, uh, like some young fellas, looking for something, you know, how to rub two nickels together and come up with twelve cents, and it was one thing and another. And uh, one of my, uh, I guess, uh, not so well fated uh, adventures was a charter boat uh, sailed from California uh, in 1983 to Maui. And uh, it was going to be, you know, happily ever after with uh, every day would be Saturday and bathing beauties and a sailing yacht and the end. Um, who needed more? And uh, the fellow who I was uh, partners with at the time in the business uh, and I realized straight away that we had the tiger by the tail. Uh, it was a fool's paradise. We were taking in, in those days, what was huge money. It was about $30,000 a month. We had never seen uh, riches like that. Uh, the downside was we were accumulating debt at about $33,000 a month. So, you know, it, it was just a matter of time. And, um, you know, there were some calamities along the way and one thing and another. The, the, the gist of the business was leaving from the base of Malaya Bay out to a very popular snorkel destination, Molokini Crater, which I'm sure many listeners are familiar with. And then, um, you know, the, the snorkel adventure cruise then coming home. Uh, 
And I realized once the business was over, well, I, what I didn't realize was that I was uh, shell-shocked. I think now we call it uh, post-traumatic disorder. I was <laughs> pretty much shook up uh, financially, mentally, emotionally, every which way. And two things uh, you know, stayed with me. One was that in the middle of the calamitous charter boat experience, there was one time of, of meditative solace. And that was in the water, and um, you know, and, and I've used this line in some of our ads: the the, the phone won't ring, the, the the mate won't nag, nothing's for sale. Mm-hmm. But that's literally what it is. We, we've all heard of sensory deprivation, but it's not sensory deprivation. It just gets it, when you're in the water, it just it it, it removes the clutter mm-hmm. and enriches all the sensory acuities, and. In a, in a reserve, which Molokini Crater is, it's a marine life conservation district, the fish know when they are not prey. Nobody can fish with a hook or a net or use a spear gun there. Hmm. It's just like being in, in the right area of a city or the wrong area of a city, you know. Mm-hmm. And the fish know as well, and so they become social and engaging. And, you know, m- many people uh, need a minute to think about this. The, sa- the same reason they need a minute to think about the aquarium concept in general, because what's under the ra- under the underwater is typically under the radar. What they need time to think about is fish as a friend. Mm-hmm. Come on! Uh, but if you but, but but reef fish are community dwellers, and I mean that in a literal sense. They'll pick a home and stay there for years. And if you visit that community, you become a familiar, and you'll experience fish who are a little bit circumspect at the outset and after a while they come closer and in a very short time your old pals mm-hmm. your buddies and they'll come out what well, you got for me uh my wife anita has recently befriended a young hawksbill turtle which she named nani and she'll free dive 18 feet uh, anita will and just wave under the ledge and nani will come out and want to play and she'll follow her everywhere <laughs> it's come to be a problem because we don't want nani to follow humans mm-hmm. uh, but the point is they do you know, engage socially. Uh, and, and, and that stuck with me. The other thing that stuck with me was, gee, the charter boat business was a nightmare, <laughs> but most of the bad things about it were boat-related. I love boats. Well, we have one now, but it's not a commercial vessel. When you love something and you do it for money, it changes. Everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, long story short, uh, I reestablish the charter boat business uh, taking people snorkeling without the boat and without the taking. We just supplied the gear. In those days, um, you couldn't get, you know, the word snorkel has always been, well, not always, but it was then a humorous word. People couldn't say snorkel without laughing. And nobody took it seriously. Nobody gave it the respect it deserved. And consequently, all snorkel gear for, uh, for rent or for hire was junk, it was dirty, and it was cheap. And it was usually $5 an hour. You had to really hunker down on the strap. It left a big dent in your face. Uh, some guy in Speedos at the hotel would, you know, rent it to you for 5 bucks an hour. And, um, and that was that. And Snorkel Bobs came along and introduced uh, world-class quality uh, scuba equipment applied to snorkeling on a weekly format. And the growth, growth curve was vertical. And never looked back. And mm. here we are. So, when was that? And when did you leave then the charter business? And, and where was your first store? First store was South Maui, Kihei. Mm-hmm. And that would have been 1980. 
86. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 26 years ago. Yeah. So, so how then did you become a fish activist? I mean, when did that begin? I became aware, you know, the aquarium trade got away with murder, and I also mean that in a literal sense, for years. Because they were under the radar and because nobody was saying anything, well, very few people, uh, and I would freely admit that, you know, it was going on and, and it was kind of known and I wasn't paying attention. And uh, a few ripples on the pond finally, you know, caused me to do a double take and I said, What? And, you know, I'm only one of many people who have that exact same reaction. I think you're one of them. Mm-hmm. You do a double take. What? Yeah. <laughs> and you look into a little further. This has to be, uh, you know, a mistake. This has to be, you know, this can't be happening. And it is happening. Uh, and being in my, in my position, you know, not, not just for self-interest, but the, but the interest of my close personal friends who happen to be guild breathers, uh, I got involved. And... You know, it wasn't that long before um, I became very involved, and here we are. And I've often said, all these aquarium guys have to do is go away, but no. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is there's too much money involved. What's the reported catch? It's between $1 and $2 million a year. How many collectors are there? About 50, I think, more or less active in Hawaii. Now, why are these guys going tooth and nail over uh, a million to $2 million catch? Because that's what's reported. Mm -hmm. What's poached? Contraband is way more than that. How much more? We don't know. The last uh, Division of Aquatic Resources uh, chief administrator, who was fired, estimated between two and ten times that much. Or two, I'm sorry, two and five times that much. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how many fish they're taking, but it's it's massive. Mm. You're listening to the DeMarco Polo Show, and I'm with Robert Wintner, who is also known as Snorkel Bob and has the Snorkel Bob Foundation. You can Google it and find out a lot of what we're talking about um, and links links to other places as well as, you know, things his store offers, which, which is a wonderful, wonderful place, actually. So happy I found it when I was just there. Um, so I'm, I'm looking down this list. On, on your website, you have a list of uh, things you should be aware of or, or things you shouldn't do when you're snorkeling, when you're swimming, when you're uh, around reefs and fish. And one of them is do not feed the fish. And when I came back from Hawaii, one of my friends said, so did you feed the fish? And I said, no, <laughs> it's horrible. Don't feed the fish. She said, I had no idea. Yeah. And it's interesting you should bring that up because um, two things. Well, first, historically... Um, we, we were pretty innovative with selling fish food, and, and I want to preface this by saying we stopped in 1991. Uh, that's, well, I'll do the math, 20, 21 years ago. Uh, but we, we, we rigged up a piece of plywood with a, and had a 50-pound bag of trout chow and a little hopper with a feeder, and we had some sausage casing and a seal meal. We actually built this thing until we could pour the trout chow into a little section of sausage casing, casing seal meal it, Figured the total unit cost was about seven cents, selling for a dollar. Beautiful. And then someone came to us and said, "You realize that when you feed the fish, you stop them from performing their function on the reef. Mm-hmm. In the case of herbivores, it's it's eating algae." And so we stopped. There are other places. I'm not going to mention the name of a of a Maui dive shop that does that or that did that until very recently. But they did it for another 21 years. Uh, 
engrossed about $10,000 a month on fish food. That's how popular it was. Now it's illegal to feed the fish in marine life conservation districts. Um, enforcement is problematic, but that's the long and the short of it. The reason that the fish food topic is now uh, so so interesting and in the news, uh, one of the uh, evil federal agencies we do battle with is called Westpac. Uh, and I spent about a year saying, what, what is Westpac? And the executive director of Westpac just did an interview on PBS, and she's pretty, pretty uh, well known for her outrageous statement saying, that the reason that reefs are declining is because snorkelers are feeding the fish, mm. uh, which, of course, is ridiculous. The reason that reefs are declining is because people are taking the fish. Mm-hmm. And there are other reasons as well. The aquarium trade uh, always cries foul. Uh, they are not the only cause of reef decline. But their complaint is meant as a justification for continuing extraction. And if they're not the only cause, that doesn't mean they should be allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, every place has effluent runoff, uh, acidification, uh, warming, all those things, uh, and we have to do what we can to stop what we can. Hmm. Um, so is there any group that um, comes to Hawaii, whether it's from a certain state, certain country, that sort of does the most harm? Is that I don't even know if that's even a question you can answer. You know, it's, it's um, like, well, Let me put it this way. There are very strong interests, and by strong, I mean uh, moneyed interests, across the mainland and across the world. We had successful campaigns. Um, you know, we just affiliated with a very effective group, and I would encourage uh, anyone who's interested in this to look up Reef. Uh, I'm sorry, Reef uh, Recovery Alliance dot org, or go to Reef Recovery Alliance on Facebook. Uh, we're really glad that we affiliated because Reef Recovery Alliance has been instrumental in some of these campaigns. Now, we went to um, Kona to help there with a resolution to uh, the, the county council passed a resolution unanimously to urge the governor, the legislature, and the uh, governor, legislature, and I guess that was it, and the Department of Land and Natural Resources to... Uh, to ban the aquarium trade statewide. And among those showing up to testify against this idea w- was the Aquarium Trade um, Group Coalition from Europe. Hmm. And they said, you can't do this. We don't get to experience Hawaii except in your reef fish. If you don't let us do this, uh, we'll never get to know anything about Hawaii, and you'll lose the business. And my response is, you know, let your conscience be your guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the operative, the key word here is wildlife. That's wildlife. Mm-hmm. It does. It's born to the wild. It does well in the wild. It dies in captivity. There's no other species anywhere that's that's suffering this kind of trafficking, other than fish. No more big birds. And by the way, when the uh, Wild Bird Conservation Act went into effect. It was only after the exact same struggle. It was these guys climbing trees in South America to raid the nests with mm-hmm. baby birds, baby parrots, macaws, you name it, mm-hmm. uh, saying, we're not hurting anything. There's plenty more where these came from. They breed like rabbits. Well, they don't. Uh, the woman who wrote the Wild Bird Conservation Act, um, Dr. Teresa Talecki, is now the 
executive director of Humane Society International. And, uh, you know, she supports this. Humane Society International supports this. PETA has become involved. Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, disclaimer, I'm on the board of advisors, is now involved in this. Uh, Teresa Telecki said that, you know, before they got involved, she was pretty sure they wanted to get involved, but she went and talked to some of the key people who are the, sh- the, the, the inspectors along the shipping lanes, meaning not ship-ship, but, but airline, um, you know, when they, when they inspect cargo. Mm-hmm. She said the horror stories are overwhelming of the huge containers of dead fish they mm-hmm. see coming in beautiful, once colorful fish, mm-hmm. dead rotting. That doesn't show up in any statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the aquarium trade cries foul. You don't have proof of that. There you go. It's it, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, it's so sad. I find this just so sad. And I, you know, I think a lot of what goes on goes on through ignorance because, I mean, for instance, on your, your uh, list of 15, 16 things that you should be aware of and, and not do or, or just at least be aware of and, and take some action. One of them is don't buy coral or seashells. And I think, um, you know, it's not something that occurred to me that, you know, I make jewelry. It didn't occur to me that I, I shouldn't buy coral from a yeah, bead, from I, a bead I, cell. I would like to call that an honest mistake. You know, there are no constraints on these things. Mm-hmm. In the countries where those things still come from, yes, um, Indonesia, South China Sea, um, and the fact is, there's really no difference it, when you talk about wilderness, which is what we're all struggling to maintain in the world. There's two components: there's habitat, and there are habitués. Interesting is um, Hawaii's history uh, when the Department of Land and Natural Resources was mandated in 1956. It took 28 years. Um, I'm sorry, it was 22 years, 22 or 23. It was about 1978 before they made the very first species of coral off limits to the aquarium trade. The aquarium trade was coming in and reducing entire segments of vital vital coral reef to rubble, taking the coral. And the other thing they take is called live rock. It's porous substrate that they chip off with a crowbar and a hammer and it's full of tiny uh, animals. And you put that in an aquarium, and the tiny animals play and are amusing to watch, and the other fish sometimes eat them. And it reduced entire reef segments to, to, to rubble, sandy bottom. That, and that didn't occur from 1956 until 1978. It wasn't until another 25 years, uh, about 1998, 1999, before every single coral uh, species and all live rock was uh, made 100% contraband, illegal for extraction in Hawaii. Now, every few years, they'll arrest somebody who's trying to bootleg this stuff with crates and crates of coral and, and uh, live rock, uh, and they catch them and find them and dump the stuff back in the ocean. But the, uh, the real kicker here is Hawaii is now 100% protected on habitat with zero protection on the habitués. Uh, and there's no limits on the reef fish extraction here. And the bad thing is, I mean, first I'll tell you the good thing. We're making progress. They are feeling the heat. Uh, the bad thing is the current governor, I will say his name, Neil Abercrombie, uh, met with us in blue smoke, upper shorts. 
He appointed uh, the director of land and natural resources here, who's a former aquarium collector. He only he did, he refused to give up his license, but he did let it expire. And the guy is riding the point position to get the industry uh, more entrenched on Hawaii reefs. Uh, th- that's the bad news. The good news is they are feeling the heat. We're coming at them uh, from a bunch of different directions. Uh, and so um, the other bad news is there's two ways to change things. One is legislatively and the other is administratively. Well, uh, DLNR, which this aquarium collector uh, is the director of, can come out with administrative rules. As we speak, we're in the process of approving a 40-species whitelist. A blacklist means that species you can't take. A whitelist is species you can take. And on that list are many species known to perish in aquariums. Uh, and, and the reason they're on the list is because they're profitable. And so, you know, we're doing what we can to, to call it a sham, call it out. And like I say... Uh, we are getting support from around the world and especially across the nation. Uh, Humane Society of the United States, PETA, and Sea Shepherd are now involved. Uh, but it's going to be a long struggle. Uh, I think that the current governor will be challenged, but we have another two years of his regime, and so we're doing what we can in the meantime. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad you're going to be here till uh, 6 o'clock our time. I guess 3 o'clock your time, and uh, we're going to take a real short break. You've been listening to the DeMarco Polo Show. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. I've been on with Robert Whitner, known as Snorkel Bob. A question just came in. We'll ask it when we get back from the break. Please stay with us. This is so important for everyone out there to listen to and to learn from. Be right back. And welcome back to the DeMarco Polo Show on KUCI 88. Point nine FM in Irvine. We're broadcasting from the University of California Irvine campus and on the web at KUCI.org and at iTunes on College Radio. And I have been here with Robert Wintner, known as Snorkel Bob. Hi there. Hi, hi Barbara. Hi. We've had some questions come in. Um, one is uh, from... Uh, Rennie in Hawaii, formerly from uh, the San Fernando Valley, looks like. And she said, or she asked, please ask your guest if fish live longer in tanks. That's what some say. Well, no. They like to make a case for that, saying that, um, you know, they get three squares a day and and no predators. But the fact is they're much more susceptible to uh, chemical imbalance. Um, Almost all fish uh, die in the first year because of beginner aquarium hobbyist mistakes. Um, I think that the, uh, the the most dramatic species is the yellow tang, and um, the beauty of radio is that you're going to be able to imagine this fish. He's a yellow gold. He's diamond-shaped uh, from the side, and from the front he's thin, and he has beautiful fins. He's a very reclusive, circumspect fish, um, I got a shot of one who came right up to my camera at about 50 feet off uh, Lanai uh, last year uh, and said, here's the cover of your next book, and I just pushed the button. (laughs) These fish are herbivores. They graze dawn to dusk on algae. They live 40 to 45 years in the wild. It's a fish that grows to about 9 inches maximum in a tank, uh, they live, um, well, one aquarium expert said 99% of them die the first year. 
Now, you'll hear aquarium hobbyists say, but I've had mine four years or six years or ten years. These guys are experts. Mm -hmm. For everyone that survives that long, thousands died in capture, in transit, or at the hands of, 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 you know, an aquarium hobbyist uh, making chemical errors or introducing a disease to the tank. Uh, The fact is, uh, you know, fish live a very small fraction of their lifespan in a tank or they die on the way. Uh, The important thing to remember is these are wild animals. You won't see, you know, when I talked about the moneyed interests uh, a little while ago on the mainland who are really opposed to any kind of regulation, it's because you take every public aquarium in the United States, they need collectors living and working on remote reefs so they don't have to pack up lock, stock, and barrel with, with divers, tanks, dive equipment, collecting equipment, holding tanks, and ship all these animals back uh, on their own. They need collectors in these places to do their dirty work for them. And uh, the fact is, once the fish is removed from the reef, it's gone. Uh, it, it, it's no longer there. And you won't see any zoo directors encouraging people to go out and catch giraffes and keep them in their backyard, mm-hmm. or lions or tigers, because they're just so amusing and soothing to have back there. Yes. And, and those are the arguments we hear. You know, I, uh, of course, as I said, got back from Hawaii and, and looked into uh, returning right away and was thinking, oh, it would be really great to be able to ferry from island to island. So I started looking into that and learned that there are no more ferries, and it has something to do with the environment. And I, it was hard for me to actually find out what that was, and I'm thinking it has something to do with the underwater life, but I have no idea. It, 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 it's a bunch of things. It's never worked, and, and some very good people have tried it. And now this last effort was, in my opinion, not a noble effort. It was more political aspiration of our former governor, uh, Linda Lingo, uh, not one of my favorite people. She's now running for senator against Maisie Hirono, who is one of my favorite people. Uh, but Linda Lingo, I think, was uh, attempting to, uh, our, our current senator, Daniel Inouye, uh, really uh, built a, a political career on bringing so much military money into Hawaii. Uh, and Linda Lingle tried to do the same thing uh, with the super ferry, which went from island to island. Uh, I never worried about that working because it's never worked. What you have to remember is the ocean is deep, except between the Hawaiian islands. Between the Hawaiian islands, it comes up relatively shallow, and so the water is rushing through a narrow gap compared to the entire ocean. The channels are narrow uh, and relatively shallow, and the, and the waves tend to buck up real big, 25, 30 feet. So uh, the super ferry was, first off, a pukerama. Uh, <laughs> secondly, the, the, the environmental concerns were that we have things here called invasive algae, and the super ferries, any ship traffic spreads invasive algae, what grows in a harbor in Honolulu, may not grow uh, on the harbor, Kahului Harbor on Maui, but if a ship starts growing those things while it's parked in Honolulu, it can bring it to Maui. Now, that can happen on any vessel, but the super ferries were large vessels. Uh, another concern was running into marine mammals, especially humpback whales during season. Mm-hmm. They have made a bit of recovery, uh, and the super ferries were high-speed vessels, uh, and, there, and, and collision was always problem mm. okay and and you know it's just it, it was expensive everybody here hated it 
Oahu tends to be, that's where the state capital is in Honolulu, and everybody who lives on an island other than Oahu complains about laws that are Oahu-centric. Mm-hmm. Everything caters to residents of Oahu. There's more residents in Oahu, on, on the island of Oahu than all the other islands combined. They've more or less uh, trashed much of their marine resources, and so they were very eager to load their boats and cars and trailers onto the super ferry and come to Maui and Kauai and the Big Island and... Let's have at those reefs, mm-hmm. those places. And, of course, people on the out islands didn't want that but didn't have the votes to stop it. Uh, it stopped on its own because it went uh, bankrupt. Oh, I know why, because uh, Maui tomorrow sued them for an environmental impact statement, which, oops, they forgot about. <laughs> that shut them down. Well, then I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. First, I'm going, why not? I want to go from island to island, but you know what? You really don't. Yeah. Once you've... <laughs> Once you run one of those in a, in a channel in 25-foot seats, <laughs> you're wondering, how, how, did, how did this happen? How did I get here? Oh, We have another question, and uh, if you have any questions for Robert Wintner, you can text me at 949-337-2752. And this one comes from Catfish Maui, and the question is, what are some of the white-listed species, and why are they important to Hawaii reefs? Um, another good question, and I'm going to direct you again to reefrescuealliance.org because um, there's some some really good 30-second uh, YouTube links on there to the different species, and I don't know them by heart. I can tell you that uh, today highlighted was the um, Hawaiian spotted boxfish, very cute fish. We don't see that many of them. If you go to a reef, you might see two or three. Uh, and, you know, I hate to belabor this, but it reminds me of a collector who testified at the state legislature uh, two years ago. He said, we see puffers on almost every reef. Why shouldn't we take them? Mm. And I thought, my God, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, the yellow tangs are, of course, on there. Um, I don't know if flame angels are on there or not. Um, you mentioned my upcoming books. One of them, the title of it is Flame Angels. Uh, it's become an iconic species. If you can, again, imagine a fish that is literally uh, anywhere from one inch to, say, four inches in diameter. Angel fish are generally roundish or oblong. This one is fire engine red. Looks like he's lit from the inside, and he's got uh, uh, four vertical black bars on him. An outrageously beautiful fish. Like all angel fish, he is shy. And they're virtually gone from Hawaii. Mm. They've been collected to death. All Flame Angel, pardon me, inventory now comes from Christmas Island, and it's another grab-ass free-for-all. No control, no monitoring, no regulation, no nothing. It's a species genocide. Uh, Don't get me started, please. Uh, (laughs) I wish we had all night. (laughs) It it goes on and on, and, and, and I'm happy to say that there are there's good news as well, but, but the white list is not good news. It's a sham, and we're calling it out as a sham. Uh, Hawaiian Decilis is a good example. A Hawaiian Decilis is a damsel fish, and we call this one the domino damsel. It's a, it's a beautiful little fish. He's got a face like a tough guy with a frown and a furrow, and he'll come at you and, and stop nose to nose. And he's saying, you want a piece of this? And, and, you know, he's about two inches long. And they live in branching coral. And when you come near, um, the whole school will go into the coral and hide. And if you just hang out and control your breathing and stay calm, pretty soon they come out again and they'll mm-hmm. interact and they'll give you close-ups. 
the, America, uh, the aquarium trade recommends using Hawaiian decillus a sacrificial fish. Mm. If you're going to change the, the chemistry or the water mm-hmm. in your aquarium, it's very tricky. And if you put in a fish that's expensive, you could lose those dollars. So they're saying put the uh, Hawaiian decillus in there and let him soak up the chemical burns. Mm. And when he stops, when his skin stops burning, then you can put in your more valuable fish. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't kill your Hawaiian decillus, you can put him in a holding tank and use him for the next, uh, just keep him there for the next time you need to test. Yeah. It's, it's horrific. It's heinous. Uh, I don't like talking about it. I do get worked up, wound up. Uh, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and these 40 species uh, represent, you know, they, they say these are, we're now going to limit ourselves. These species are fish that are already, they're known profitable species. There's no limit on the numbers. Uh, these are the species that represent over 99% of their current revenue. So what's the fix here? They're not limiting self on anything that, that they don't already make money on. Yeah. We have a lot of listeners in Hawaii today, and, and that is just so wonderful to, uh, to know that. Um, Fernando from Maui asks or says, our local pet store insists that all the fish they offer are either tank bred, tank breed, or collected in a sustainable manner. This includes some endangered endemic species. He'd like to know what you think about that. Well, I'm glad um, that he brought up the subject of pet stores because current on our hit parade is Petco. I hope they're not a sponsor. Mm -mm. (laughs) Uh, Petco opened a store on Maui, and everybody raised an eyebrow. Oh, boy. But they didn't have saltwater fish. Now, unfortunately, Petco was on Oahu was charged with animal abuse when three dog owners complained that... one woman complained her dog had bloody stumps where the, where the nails had been. Another one complained of profuse bleeding in her dog's paws. Another woman said she, when she brought her dog home, she realized its ear had been cut off and glued back <laughs> on. Gosh. Um, as if that wasn't enough, uh, the next month the Maui Petco introduced uh, Maui reef fish, including yellow tangs, and... Somebody went in there and took a picture of a, of, there were two yellow tangs. One was dying and the other one was already dead. And this picture went viral and it really touched a nerve. And we had demonstrations and sure enough, two vice presidents from Petco flew over and said, we, we just want to see if we can get to understand each other. And boy, oh boy, we, we sure do. Mm-hmm. Petco said, look, how about this? How about if we just stop selling yellow tangs? <laughs> that is not going to do it. It's okay, wait, wait, wait. How about if we just stop selling uh, Hawaii reef fish? And I said, here's the problem with that. I was in Fiji about eight months ago, and I got caught in a down current. The key is you stay calm. You learn that ideally as you get older. There's nothing you can do anyway, so you don't fight it. And I got down to about 100 feet, and I was scooting along about four knots, thinking, well, I wonder if this is it. And it got real dark. And out of the gloom, here comes a little canary fang blenny. And these guys, he was about three or four inches long. And, and, and anybody who's seen a fang blenny knows, well, they inside their mouths, they have these canine fangs. But before they bear the fangs, they have this beautiful, angelic smile. And here comes this canary fang blenny right in my face with a smile saying, it's going to be okay. <laughs> At least that's what I assumed his meaning. Uh, and, and, and then I, and I said, you know, you deal the biggest supplier for Petco is Quality Marine, an insidious outfit that, that is ravaging the coral triangle of reef fish. 
They're either going into uh, fresh areas or right on the, the the boundaries of preserves, and they're and they're just doing a lot of damage. I heard another story from a, a friend of mine who's in captive breeding, who said that uh, she visited the pet, the um, Quality Marine Depot in Tonga, where they had these lemon peel angelfish. And again, it's an angelfish. This one is canary yellow. Uh, with just beautiful azure blue rings around the eyes. And um, Quality had hundreds of them in a holding tank. Each one was being kept in a length of two-inch PVC because they fight when they're together, when they don't have the wide-open spaces. Again, this is wildlife. Mm. They'd been there for two or three weeks waiting for the order to be filled. The order wasn't filled. They had to be released. Meanwhile, they all were starving, and they had fin rot. They released them in the murky lagoon right next to the depot. But they'd been caught on a blue water lagoon miles away. But who wanted to spend the fuel or take the time to release them to their home reef? But they were probably going to die anyway because they'd already been severely compromised. But to say that, you know, um, I think the question was about tank rays. Mm -hmm. It's another really uh, insidious ruse that Petco developed. Most of their, well, first off, most of their, most Petco staff will say, and this is what they've been trained to say, I'm not saying that the staff are bad people. Most of them are very sympathetic to our cause, but they've been trained to say every fish we sell is captive bred. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. I won't say it's untrue. I'll say it's a lie. It's a deliberate lie. Yellow tanks have never been captive bred anywhere, and people have tried. It would be worth a lot of money if they could do it. They can't do it. They die. So they've gone from there to saying these fish are tank-raised. That means they catch them as fry. The, the mortality rates are astronomical. The trade is now contending that if they catch them as fry and tank raise them, it doesn't hurt the reef a lick because every fish releases millions of eggs. And it's just bogus. Any egg that develops to fry has, has beat uh, astronomical odds. Any fry that develops to juvenile has beat astronomical odds. Uh, these fish should not be confined. Uh, it's, it, anybody retailing these fish saying that they are uh, captive bred or tank raised, chances are they're lying. Now, there's a move afoot now, and this is another one that, that Petco uses. So does um, there's an outfit uh, or a program called Rising Tide. This is the spawn of SeaWorld. And I'm not going to go into SeaWorld. I'll just say they have a voracious appetite mm-hmm. for marine mammals and reef fish. I will not speak with SeaWorld. And a very nice woman called me and asked if we could work together. I said, I'm afraid we can't. That would be like Hadassah entering a reasonable conversation with the Aryan League. It's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, SeaWorld generates more demand for marine mammals than anybody else mm. who has ever seen the cove. Mm-hmm. And the f- full stop. But um, the whole idea of captive breeding, it, it, it gained popularity for a while, and everybody thought, well, this will relieve pressure on, on the wild species, and it won't. Mm-hmm. You'll see home hobbyists now who brag, my tank is 50% captive bred. Mm. Well, my tank is 80% captive bred. Mm. Now, you know, it, all, it goes along with that sense of entitlement, I think, you know, that you know, why people take, you know, things from beaches when there's signs that say, you know, please don't take the shells or the driftwood or the rocks or the, the anemones or whatever. I mean, it's like a sense of entitlement, isn't it? It's, it's, it's that, definitely, and it's also a sense of either they're not aware 
that it's a living creature, Mm -hmm. and living creatures that are not human still count as living creatures. Yeah. Uh, Or or maybe uh, sometimes it's also a feeling of of, of dominance. I don't dominate very much in my life, and here's a chance to do Mm. it. What about down when I was there? I saw that there's a lot of um, manta ray um, dives at at sunset or after dark down. Um, I don't know what's happening around Kona. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I think it's okay. The, the, the only bad thing about it, the way that works and the way it happens at, at, at dark is, uh, as you know, mantas are baleen feeders. Uh, they they feed on plankton. And plankton is attracted to light, so they'll go out at night. Usually, it's not very far out, mm-hmm. and they shine spotlights. And the spotlights draw the plankton. And in no time, here comes the manta rays. And it's really quite extraordinary. Uh, at first, I thought it was a bogus, touristy thing to do, and then we did it. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> it was fun. Uh, and it, it, it's optional. They put out these. They built these very clever uh, kind of uh, ladder type devices. They float. But they're long pieces of PVC strung together or hooked together, and they have rungs on them. And they put everybody in the water and snorkel gear, and you just float on the surface. And the guys in the scuba tanks down below are working the lights and luring the mantas. Now, it's optional. If you want to put tanks on, you can go down on the bottom as well. Uh, my only complaint, and it's pretty minor, is that you know another human co- compunction that's that's problematic is uh, I, I, the only way I can make contact is physical touching. And it's not a good idea with marine life. Mm-hmm. So people reach up and touch the mantis sometimes, and it's it's bad. Sometimes they can harm the manta. Uh, they can, you know, mm-hmm. uh, transmit diseases and all that. Sure. So that would be my only complaint. Other than that, I don't really think it's a problem. It may it may even have good effects. Mm-hmm. Right now, the, the the mantas are getting hammered again in the Asian countries. Mm-hmm. Um, they will eat not just anything but they want to eat everything to say that they've eaten the last of a species it's a point of pride oh my goodness well we have we have about two minutes left and uh this this seems to be such an immense problem can you uh you mentioned the reef recovery org or or the group on facebook but can you spend another a minute or two um talking to our listeners about what we can do yeah, it's, it's Reef Rescue Alliance, and I would say yeah, tune in to reefrescuealliance.org, uh, the website, and it's, a, it's a, an interactive blog site, or uh, Reef Rescue Alliance on Facebook, and stay tuned. We have, um, we're, we're just one of, uh, Snorkel Bobs is one of uh, several key players in this, and we have things coming up. Uh, there are irons in the fire I'm very excited about, and if there's anybody in the aquarium trade listening, I'm here to tell you, boy, it's going to be exciting. And, and I can't, you know, I'm not at liberty to unveil these things right now, but in the coming weeks, there's going to be some, some real, um, you know, high-stepping dances we're going to engage in, and uh, we're, we're on it. Uh, for me, and, and I think for, for some others, this is not a choice. Mm-hmm. This, this is a contact sport. Yeah. You have to have fun with it. It is an endeavor of love. I can say stay tuned. I would say if you see somebody with an aquarium, tell them. There's so many intelligent, informed people who think, well, somebody grows those fish somewhere. What about, is there, are there any kind of fish that someone could have in an aquarium? I mean, goldfish, is there any, a question yeah, just I, came I, in, is there any sustainable method? Is okay or not okay to have a goldfish? That's something you have to really answer for yourself. You know, these days people want an expert to tell them what to do. Mm. 
I, I think you need to answer that for yourself. I personally wouldn't have one, but then again, I get to get in the ocean all the time, mm-hmm. and I do have some fish for friends. Uh, one of these guys is a peacock razor rat who lives in, at 55 feet in the sand channel at Molokini. Every time I go down there, he'll rush my camera and come on, take my picture, take my picture. Uh, and at first, he wouldn't come near me. Uh, again, Barbara, you know the, the, these are personal questions that I think if you just if you ask yourself these questions and you don't get an answer, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. That means it's not formed up yet, and you just let it let it sit there. Yeah. And, Think about it, but don't think about it, and pretty soon you'll know. Maybe it's a good thing for a little girl to have a goldfish. I don't know. Uh, that little girl might learn, you know, a lifetime lesson from that. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't have one, but I have fish who live at home, and I yeah. visit them. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you, and, and um, just I love what you're doing, and I so look forward to uh, having you back in the fall when your next book comes out, and uh, we can talk about your book, and we can talk more about fish and and everything else. So uh, thank you so very much for taking the time. Thank you, Barbara. I love what you're doing, too, and as we say in Hawaii, ahui ho. Thank you. And I guess we also say mahalo and uh, to all of you out there. I'm so happy that you were able to spend time with us and thank you for your questions. And um, I love fish and uh, I'm going to look into reefrescuealliance.org and see what I can do because uh, I find I find it all just very sad what's going on with those beautiful fish. When we were in Hawaii, I saw the most beautiful fish with wearing yellow lipstick and I thought, you know what? There's something going on here that I I need to find out more about. These beautiful fish uh, need some help. Thank you so much for listening to the DeMarco Polo Show. This show, along with the others that have been on, will be podcasts. So uh, if you visit my website, penonfire.com, you can um, stay in touch with what's going on and, and uh, when these shows are podcast. Thanks again for being there. I'll be back next week at 5 p.m.